listening to First Church Charlotte. Actually, was going to start a series today uh, entitled The Do Something Church. Because it's in my spirit, it's been in my spirit for several weeks. But this morning, early after I'd done a lot of work preparing, I felt this break in my spirit, just whoa. And uh, I've postponed that for two weeks. And we'll start that, I think, the 18th, uh, the Do Something Church. And so this morning, very early, uh, I walked from my bedroom to my office. It's not very far. I planned it that way. And uh, I spend most of my life in that office. And I, I sat down, and I only had a few minutes before I had to start getting ready for church. And I asked the Lord, okay, well, if no to that, what do you want me to say? And the most simple story that is uh, celebrated in Sunday schools everywhere is the story of David and Goliath. And that came, that came to me, and I, I began to think about it, and I, I didn't have the opportunity of extended reflection and prayer and study. What I needed immediately is I needed the Lord to put it into my spirit. Um, as, a, as a pastor, the most important thing is not what I can some manner get you to know, but it's something I can get you to become. Uh, a truth that is not simply communicated, but imparted. Does that make sense? And so I, I, I okay, Lord, I, I don't have long. <laughs> and in this story, I, I, I was thinking about uh, the reality of what's happening in the life of David and the reality of how these stories in the Bible are more than like a character uh, sketch and a plot. It's more than plot and character. It's, it's more than, than story. It's more than uh, simply uh, kind of a narrative that comes to us through our culture. There is embedded in these stories spiritual truths. And that is why the story is told to us. There were many, many times, hear me, in the house of Israel where they fought giants, and we don't know those stories. We only will have one script, scriptural reference of someone who fought a giant here or fought a giant there. But in uh, the story of David and Goliath, uh, it is told to us in some detail. And the reason being is because there is a, uh, a spiritual embedded truth that we can place in our hearts and our life and be changed by that and become stronger because of that. And as a uh, communicator on behalf of the Lord, which all preachers, all teachers, all pastors, we are all called to communicate the kingdom of God to this day and age. Can I have a big amen? One of the deep values that we celebrate here at First Church is that ministry does not simply happen here on this stage, but you are ministers unto the Lord and for the Lord wherever you are. You are God's plan to make a difference in your world. The reason why sometimes you can't make that uh, association and gain thus the confidence from it is you are too busy seeing yourself how you see yourself, not how God sees you. Well, thank you, sir. God bless you. Um, I, I want you to see that you are too busy seeing God how, or seeing yourself how you see yourself and you're not seeing yourself how 
God sees you. This is so important. And the reason why is because as believers that are placed in a body of Christ, part of our job is to see one another as God sees them, not as how we see them. You see, you can see my mistakes. I can see your mistakes. I can see where you're good, where you're not good. But the challenge of spiritual family is to see you as God sees you, not as I see you. Because that is where your ability is placed in the person you can be in God. Uh, Churches are divided when we see each other as a collection of errors and sins. But when God looks at the same person you're criticizing, he sees his blood covering them. This is why gossip destroys churches. It's not about the fact that what you're saying is true. It's about the fact that what you're saying is echoed by the devil. He's saying it too. You see, the devil talks about how you are. He's the accuser of the brother. He don't have to lie about you. And I thought I was preaching better than that, but it's going to be a long day. I can tell you that right now. The devil's the accuser of the brother, and he tells the truth about you. Why? Because the judge knows all things. God, God knows everything. What are you going to do to lie to somebody to know that knows? The devil doesn't lie to God. He tells the truth about you. Let me tell you something about uh, somebody around here. They're a sinner. And the devil's like, yeah, that's right. They are a sinner. They failed. The devil's like, that's right, man. I'm taking a vacation. You're doing my job for me. But the moment you see one another as God sees you, now we're speaking life to one another. Now we're speaking hope to one another. We're not seeing each other as a list of errors and sins, but we're seeing each other as a vessel of promise and anointing. So I've come to tell all of you who are down on yourself today. You've been down on yourself all week. You've talked bad about yourself to yourself all week. And now you're barely made it in the house of God. This is a preacher that's here to say, I'm going to see you as God sees you. And God says you're forgiven. And God says you're empowered. And God says you're anointed. And God says you're blessed. And God says you're more than a conqueror. That's not my message. So, uh, David is a shepherd, and he is on a uh, hillside tending sheep. He's the youngest of the brethren, and so he stayed home to do the chores, and his brothers have gone off to war against Philistines. Real quick, I want to nerd out on some history with uh, the Philistines with you. most common uh, enemy of Israel was the Philistines. Uh, Israel uh, dwelt, as you can think of, you've seen the maps in the Bible probably, and the Middle East. Uh, Israel was more inland, and uh, Philistine was five cities arrayed along uh, the Mediterranean coast. And so they had all the benefits of trade, and they had all the benefits of uh, uh, ideas spreading, and, and, and as a result, they, had, they were wealthier. Uh, they had more technology. Uh, for example, the children of Israel didn't have metalsmiths until some generations after uh, the Philistines had them. And so every time they would go to war, the Philistines would have metallic weapons, and the children of Israel would be stuck with stones and rocks and flint and the like, and just not near as... 
uh, effective uh, technology. And so the children of Israel would try to break out of this virtual, uh, shall we say, national oppression that's upon them. Uh, They're not given access to the sea, so they can't have the wealth that comes through trade and the technology transfer that comes through trade. They can't buy the weapons. They can't learn to make the weapons. Uh, That's one reality of it. The other is that the Philistines dwell in fortified cities. Well, the children of Israel are spread in a more agrarian uh, style of settlement. And so the armies, whenever the armies of Philistines looked to their east and they noticed the fields of Israel were green with with harvest and ready for for harvest, uh, they if they felt like they were able, rather than buying food from the trade of the Mediterranean, they would descend from their strongholds and using armies, they would take the uh, the, the land, the, the, the harvest, the fruit of the land from the house of Israel. So there's a constant tension. Uh, they're being kept from what they need to progress and what they have is being taken by those who have more. Now you can immediately make spiritual understanding in these two realities that actually were lived by the children of Israel. Here's the first reality. There is victory for you that the enemy doesn't want you to have. There is a breakthrough for you that the enemy doesn't want you to have. There is promise that if you ever really start believing it and quit pretending to believe it, it will change everything in your life. But the enemy doesn't want you to have that, and so he's going to war against you. So you don't have the wisdom, the understanding, the insight, the blessing, the wealth that you need to do what God has gifted you to do. Can I have a big amen in the house? On the other hand, sometimes having surveyed your life, the enemy of your soul wants to take your joy and take your blessing and take your confidence and he will descend from his stronghold and he will mock you and he will lie to you and he will assault you to steal what God has said is yours. There comes a time when it's time to fight the Philistines. It's just time to fight. And so this is the reality in the house of Israel, but they have shown up for the battle. The Philistines have shown up, and in this particular time, the Philistines have a tremendous number of uh, uh, giants, uh, men of great stature in their, in their army. Uh, this is intimidating, as you would expect, because uh, I don't know if you've ever fought anybody bigger than you, but uh, size matters. Um, so, um, if you're smaller, I have an advantage. I have a plan for you. Run until they lose their cardio, then kill them. <laughs> um, if they're bigger than you, run until you get a cardio advantage and then kill them. Uh, if they're smaller than you, squash them bugs. Don't let them get running. You snatch them up as fast as you can. And so, the reality is, is that size is not always an advantage in the battlefield. Because war, uh, as they say, is, uh, there's no rules in love and war. Um, and in war, the, the, the goal is to exercise your will over the enemy through violence. And so, um, uh, the, uh, being big is not that big of an advantage in a battlefield context. Why is that? Well, think of predators. Uh, almost all pack hunting predators like wolves or even lions, they all kill prey bigger than themselves uh, because there's an effective way to do it. You see what I'm saying? Uh, The problem with being bigger than your prey is you have to ambush them or you can't catch them. Okay, so if uh, the point I want you to see here is that the intimidation that is in the heart of the children of Israel is actually, in the terms of warfare, is actually an illusion, a delusion, and a lie. I want you to see this. 
Okay, and so Goliath stands before them, send me a man and we will fight. You guys know the story told in every Sunday school room around the world. It's not as big an advantage as it is a psychological advantage. David is not there to be assumed Boy, I wish someone would get this. By the culture of fear that exists. I'm going to say that again to this side because they don't get as much love. You know, I preach to the front row over here more because they have the most need of God. But I'm going to come over here and I'm going to talk to, oh, this front row. Y'all are competing with that front row. Maybe y'all need more. Oh, look at the second row. This side is the new worry side over here. So so, uh, David's not there. He's with sheep. What's he doing with sheep? He's Somebody say worship. David is a worshiper. You want to understand what God's capable of? Get your eyes off your abilities and start focusing on him. David is not assumed by a culture of fear. There is a reality in a culture of fear. As people of faith, we either transform it, and if we can't transform it, we avoid it. I'm going to say that again. Your first obligation, because you're a conqueror, is to transform that room from a culture of fear to a culture of faith. And so when people say, oh, it's bad, you say, God's able. They need help over here. I'm going to go to this side now, okay? Y'all stay prayed through over here. Your job, you walk in a room filled with fear, and they say bad things are going to happen. You're going to say, God's good. You transform that fear. You transform that fear. If you can't do it because of your own weaknesses and struggles and pains and loss, your job is to avoid that culture. Get back to a hillside. Don't focus on the giants in your life. Focus on uh, the creator in your life. Focus on the promise giver. Focus upon God. You can't have a big God in your heart and live in doubt and fear. It goes against everything. If you're a worshiper, my brother, my sister, God's about to move in your life. If you are a praiser, God's about to break into your life. So David, David is not being uh, assumed. Big word, I guess. He's not being held under the water of this culture of fear. He shows up and he's like, what's the problem? I don't get it. Well, you you haven't been here. If you were here, you'd be defeated like we are. If you'd been here, you'd be depressed like we are. If you were here, you'd be discouraged like we are. All I got to say is, thank God I was not here. Ain't nobody got no time for that, as the comedian said. So um, I want you to see. I want you to see how David he shows up and blurts the brutal truth. What? Who is this guy? He's a guy. He he's a giant. Yeah, but he's defiling the God of Israel. Now you want to talk about a guy? Let's talk about the God of Israel. He is the Lord of Hosts. And so you know the story. Uh, giants. Here's the problem with giants. And I want you all to get this. I want to, if possible, I want there to be a spiritual transfer uh, in, in this moment right here. I want you to get this. The problem with giants is not that they're bigger than you. The problem with giants is they invite you to live a life of comparison. Lord, you know I'm going to have to preach that some more. You know I'm going to have to say that again. I'm sorry. The problem with giants is not that they're stronger than you. It's that they're inviting you to live by sight and not by faith. If you start living by comparison or living by sight and not faith, 
doesn't actually matter if you fight the giant. You've already lost. That's why the armies hunkered behind cover. Because they don't have to fight a battle they've already agreed to lose. We're never going to be able to compete on the level of comparisons with the things the enemy brings against us. Our job is not to compete. Our job is to worship. So you know how you feel? Thank you. I think so myself. We got to get some people on this side to agree with you. So, so if you, if you, if you live this way, you are turning the weapon of the enemy back on him. I, I wish so much you could see this. You know that feeling of fear when you're intimidated? Okay, true story. I was a little, uh, when I was 17, um, my youth pastor, who was Brother Ed, who's a fine man right over here, and he's, uh, was my youth pastor. So, so he took me, he was a police officer, he took me on a ride along at 17. He was trying to keep me saved, you know, show me some attention. And he was a great youth, youth pastor. He was a great youth pastor. He... He loved us kids. He, no, let me say that again. He stinking loved us kids. He loved us. And uh, that's 85% of working with young people. You just got to love them ignorant little beautiful suckers. So moving right along. <laughs> it, can I get an amen from the spiritual front row right there? Uh, y'all can do, but come on, give me an amen from the front. Amen. So. Um, we go to the jail. This is the old jail, and the cells were open on this tier. You could walk right down, and uh, door, and 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 so the, you'd walk by these these bars and, and doors. And I was walking, I was seventeen, skinny little beanpole of a kid, six foot tall, one hundred and seventy pounds, just skinny as I could be. Actually, that kind of sounds good, don't it? Six foot one hundred seventy pounds. <laughs> now it's six foot and three hundred and seventy pounds. But anyway, moving along. So. Uh, I was, with, I was walking with Ed and some other officers. I, I think there's one, maybe two more walking along. And in my 17-year-old mind, you know, I thought maybe these guys think I'm one of the officers, so I better, you know, own it. So, you know, I'm like kind of walking in front of all these jailed suckers with unorganized lives. You know, and I'm like, that's what I thought. Mm. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. You don't want to come at me. I'll lock you up. As the popo says, you want to go to jail? <laughs> So here I'm walking along, walking along, walking along. And with a funny thing happened. And I'm like, you know, I'm like kind of wearing it, kind of owning it, you know, kind of got it. I went to Garinger. I know how to put on some swag. Don't talk to me about swag. I can swag with the best of them. I'm, I'm just like swagging along there, you know, kind of. You know, white boy swag is a little different. It's, it's, it's not the same. God, I'm just scouts honor here. White boy swag is just a little bit different, but I'm sorry, Don. He's covering his face. That's a bad sign. Uh, my dad shake his head. Don covers his face. So anyway, you know, white boy swag's a little different, but we got our swag. It's just not as cool. I don't know. Anyway, you know, I'm like walking along like, yeah, yeah. I get to this door. You know, you know the cartoon where so-and-so's hunting a wabbit, you know, and there's a bull in the story and the bull before he charges, he builds like this and steam comes out of his nose and then he runs in place for a little while and then he charges. So I, I'm, I'm walking along. I'm kind of doing my white boy swag. You know, I'm like, don't uh, choke a fool up in here. Talk to them like, you know, uh, don't make me back slap you and all this stuff. And I get to this one cell. I don't realize the door is open. <laughs> 
there's this guy, man, he looks like the bull in the Freddie Wabbit story or whatever. I mean, uh, he, he's like this, and he's mad, he's gonna, and he's tatted and covered, he looks like an extra from the some horror movie or something, you know, he's like those kind of people, you know, the heels have eyes kind of people, you know, and he's like, no, I've never seen that movie, just go, you're wondering, I don't watch anything horror, so it, so here I am, I'm kind of walking along, I'm like, guess what I thought, and I see that up and I'm like, hey, <laughs> don't make eye contact, don't make eye contact, <laughs> so, 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 so here's the reality, Here, here's, here's, here's David with this army, you know, the, the giant, so impressive, and here comes this boy, but he hasn't, he, he has grown in faith, he has fought a lion, he has fought a bear, how do you grow in faith? You focus on the one from whom your strength comes. You see, to live by appearances, to live by outward, to live that way, is to always review what you're capable of. What am I capable of? Honey ain't enough. What do I have? Not enough. What can I do? Not enough. So stop and direct your attention to heaven and say, what can you do? What are you capable of? What are you willing to do? This is what David does. He stops living in this realm of being impressed by giants. He goes out, you know the stories. You come to me with sword and shield. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And he throws the rock and it strikes uh, uh, Goliath. And Goliath falls and there is a great victory that day. There was a great victory that day. Why is this happening? Why was David, a small boy, too young to be drafted in the army. In the time, that probably would mean he was an early teenager, not a late teenager. Late teenagers would have been drafted into the army and sent to fight. He was probably an early teenager. I mean, you think about that. That is really, really impressive. This young man who has spent so much time in the presence of God, that he is more impressed with what God can do with, than with how the enemy appears. If the church lives by sight, we're never going to be impressed enough to make a difference in our world. But if we are worshipers and we are constantly reminding ourselves of what God can do, I'm making an appeal to every one of you. Stop evaluating yourself and start worshiping your God. I'm going to try it over here. Stop evaluating yourself and start worshiping your God. And every time you say, I can't, you say, but he can. I can't, but he can. There's always going to be giants. We have to be willing to face those giants in our, in our life. And so, 2 Corinthians 10, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, carnal, excuse me, but mighty through God. Mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Each one of you has giants in your life that you need to be victorious over. And again, I say amen. Each one of you have things that will cause you to live in anxiety. You've been sitting up at night, you've been pacing the floor, and you've been asking yourself, what am I going to do? Wrong question. Right question. God, what are you able to do? 
Not what I can do, but what are you able to do? And if you can focus upon him, just like David on the mountainside, worshipers always are better at seeing beyond appearances. It may appear like there's no answer for you, but worshipers are good at seeing beyond how things appear. So what are you living through? What is dis- let me let me just say this real quick. You are God's mouthpiece in your world. You are God's plan to have revival in your world. And we're big about that here at First Church. You are the minister. I am the equipper. Ephesians 4. I am the equipper. You are the minister. My job is to equip you to feed your faith, to build you up, to be the one who says you can teach a Bible study. You can lead a small group. We're getting ready to start a new semester of small groups. We need to have more effective, more spirit-filled small groups than we've ever had in our church history. There are people in Concord that are never going to drive all the way to East Charlotte, and they need the Holy Ghost. There are people down where I live in the south part of the city uh, who need revival. They're never going to drive to East Charlotte. But guess what? God's put an apostolic, Holy Spirit-filled person in their neighborhood. I just got to equip you. I said, I just got to equip you to let go of your timidity, to let go of your fear and say, I am a worshiper. You're not saying I'm a giant. I said, you're not saying I'm a giant. I said, you're not saying I'm a giant. You're saying I'm a worshiper. This is the essential element of Christian victory because what the giant does in He intimidates by saying, look at me. I know these young men are jealous of these 18-inch pythons I have hanging off my arm up here. But if y'all spend time in the gym, you'll pray for these young suckers over here. The giant says, look at me. The worshiper says, look at him. Which one are you? Are you walking through your life trying to impress people with you? Or are you walking through your life trying to impress people with him? The giant is like the devil. They're marketing experts. I said that right. Marketing experts. They want you to believe something. Whether or not it's true is secondary. They want you to believe something. Buy this car, you'll get this woman. <laughs> in college, there's this one guy who had had a huge settlement. He had an accident. He showed up in a car. It wasn't a college car. It was the kind of car that a man in his 50s with money in the bank would like to drive. This dude showed up. It was a BMW 5 Series. I always loved BMW. I always loved BMW just because the Lord knows how to direct us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And uh, I always liked BMW. It's just, that's like the way to Anyway, moving along, he, I saw that car. I thought to myself, none of us have a chance. We don't have a chance. So he, that dude still couldn't get a date. Not even kidding. You know what I'm talking about, too. That sucker didn't get one date. Like maybe you went out with him. I don't know. You went out with him once? You never went out with him? We just saved our marriage right there. I guess. If you dated that sucker, call the attorneys. (laughs) 
I'm getting the kids. That's all we got to say about that. <laughs> no, no, having fun, having fun, having fun. Uh, I'm just saying, you know, marketing is trying to get you to believe a lie. Whether or not it's true is secondary. The giant's trying to get you to believe this lie. It's not even worth fighting. You're already defeated. The devil goes about like a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion. There's only one roaring lion, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But the devil goes around like a roaring lion. He's a liar. He is a liar. The giant wants you to believe something, and so they're posturing for you. I know religious people like that. They're always posturing for you. That's the wrong habit for believers. It's not about us. We're not the giants walking around saying, my God, you should know how powerful I am. I'm just getting off a 47-day fast. And my God, sometimes when I walk, I just walk by and people are healed. They're just healed right there. They don't even, they just healed. And I show up and money just pours in. Boy, wouldn't that be an awesome problem? tell you something right now. Money don't grow on elm trees, but moving along. And so they're just, they look at me. Look how powerful I am. Look, I'm a prophet. Look, I have all 97 of the gifts of the spirit. Don't look at me. No, 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 no. I'm a worshiper. Look at him. I know I'm not very impressive besides, except for my 18 inch pythons over here. Look at him. This is David, shepherd boy, showing up, saying, who is this guy to challenge the Lord of hosts? I'm, I don't play marketing games with giants. I don't play that game. I'm a worshiper. You see, all day long, I focus on the greatness of God. I focus on the beauty of the Lord. I have beheld his beauty. I have spent time in his presence. And so this giant that come out here with his marketing plan, okay, whatever. You come at me with your stuff, but I'm coming at you with one thing. I'm coming at you, the name of the Lord. Real quick, I got to end. I could preach all day because that's how what I do. But I want to. I want to. I uh, thank you. I agree with you. Uh, I want to. I want to real quick bring this up as a conclusion. There are in second chapter, second Samuel chapter number twenty one. There are uh, three giants that we are given the names of. Uh, there's actually four, but I forgot to uh, put the fourth name in my notes. So I'm going to pretend like he's not there, and y'all pretend like I did a good job studying in that forty five minutes I had this morning to get all this sorted out. Okay, so the first, the first giant mentioned is this uh, beautifully named giant that if any of you expecting parents are looking for names of children, please consider this name. It's Ishbi Banab. Ishbi Banab. It's a beautiful name and it will be a blessing to you. And you've got to know how this will sound. Ishbi Banab, if you don't get home right now, you're taking away your iPad. Anyway, that's how it rolls in our house. Ishbi Banab. You know what this name means? It means to settle. Isn't that astonishing that the giant's name would mean to settle? That's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you just to settle. You haven't gotten the promised land God has sent you to, but just settle for whatever you have. You haven't been healed, but just settle for chronic pain. You haven't been delivered, but just settle for a temporary deliverance. Be like the man who say, I can see better. Men are like trees walking. And Jesus says, oh no, we're going to pray one more time. And he speaks healing into him. We cannot as a church settle because we have some good things happening and the Lord's blessed and done some good things. We can't settle. We have greater things have yet to be done in this city. 
The first giant that will come against you is the enemy trying to get you just to settle. Don't believe. Don't reach for more. Just settle. The second giant meant, mentioned is Sipai. S-I-P-P-A-I. This means to limit. To limit. Isn't that astonishing? This name means to limit. That's what the enemy wants to do to the church. That's what the enemy wants to do to your influence in your world. To limit you. To, li- to get you just to hide your faith. To get you to be intimidated. Just stay behind the rocks. No, you need a worshiper to show up and say, why are you intimidated by that when you have that? What are you facing? Why are you intimidated? Are you a worshiper or a reporter? The third giant, Lamai. This is the brother of Goliath. Uh, his name means to consume. The Bible says his staff was a, uh, uh, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. That was how he, he literally uh, uh, just a giant of a man. And uh, he was intimidating and his name means to consume. That's what the enemy wants to do. The enemy wants to take what God has promised you. What should be a part of the bounty and harvest of heaven. What should be the people you taught Bible studies to. The people you led to small groups, the people you influenced, the enemy wants to consume them in this contest between heaven and earth. But I am here to tell you, it is God's will that you face your giants. Because believe it or not, you have everything you need to be a giant killer in your life. You say, I'm not able. It was never about you. Your job was to be a worshiper. He is able. He is able. Musicians, come. I'm done. I want to point this out. I, I, I won't have the time. I, I don't want to read all of these passages because uh, there's so much here. Um, but if you looked in the scripture, you would see this interesting thing. That first, David kills Goliath. Okay? First, he kills Goliath. And then, through the rest of the story of the life of King David, you read of a lot of people who killed giants. It's not just David. David just went first. But once people realize you need to stop being intimidated by the lies of the enemy, and you need to quit living by sight, and get rid of comparison, you see? Do you see? It's not just a special person who can kill a giant. You are all of you giant killers. Where is the stronghold in your life? What is keeping you up? Oh my, I feel this in my spirit so strong. What keeps you up at night? What troubles you? What causes fear and doubt or the inverse of that, rage and and, 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 and anger? What causes you to be trapped in this life of the flesh and not able to stand in the realms of the spirit and possess God's inheritance for your life? Whatever it is, however it's intimidating you, uh, however it's lying to you, however it's manipulating you, I want to speak against it today and I want to say you are able to slay the giant in your life. I am a worshiper. This is how we fight our battles. I'm a worshiper. This is how we defeat the giants. I'm a worshiper. This is how we overcome. I'm a worshiper. It's not about me. I don't have to be in training. I can be on a hillside with a harp singing as long as I'm in his presence. 
because he's able. Let's all stand all across the house. I want to pray over you and then I'm going to invite you to take a step of faith and allow the faith that is in this house to begin to work down on your heart. Lord Jesus, I pray for everyone here today. There's a, there's a lot of people here that are on the edges of a spiritual decision. They have felt your drawing and they know they need to make a change. And through this whole service, they have thought about how it's time for them to make a change, a turning in their life and their heart towards you, toward the kingdom of heaven. Lord Jesus, I'm praying today that they would not hesitate. I'm praying that they would not be in some manner discouraged in their effort, but that, that without withholding nothing, they would cast their heart towards you today in Jesus' name. We pray against doubt. We pray against fear. We pray against spiritual oppression. We pray against the giants that are in our life. And we speak the name of Jesus in the face of those giants. And we say, you come to us with all your tools of intimidation, but we come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. In Jesus' name. Those of you who I've been preaching to today, and you know you need, you, you know you what you're living through, what you're facing. Those of you, I, I want to, uh, we do this as a church. We believe in the necessity of doing more than just having a, a, a moment of, of, of experience. We need to open our heart to the presence of God. I want to invite you to step out of the chair you're in right now. And I'd like you to push in as close as you can here. Y'all come all the way up to the close. I, I want to have room for as many who is who will will come with us. Our guests, our friends, feel free to come with us. We will not embarrass you in any way. This is our response to a call of the Spirit. And I feel that so strong here today. I'm, I'm moved to, to really make it an appeal to all of you who are feeling this struggle within yourself. Something that's trying to oppress you. Something that's trying to dominate you spiritually. I want to speak against it. I want you to speak the name of Jesus all across this house. Our worship team is going to lead us. And all of us with one mind and one accord, we're going to direct our attention heavenward. And we're going to speak the name of Jesus over our lives. Would you do that with me right now? All across the house, direct your attention heavenward right now and say, Oh Lord Jesus, I am speaking your name against the enemies in my life. In Jesus' name. Hands up. So there's, there, there's, there's something, there's something not finished yet. Not, it's just not finished yet. There's something not finished yet. rebuking oppression right now. Is there anybody ready to be really honest about oppression in your life? Raise your hand right now. You've been dealing with it. Okay, real quick. I want you to come forward. I want you right here. Some of you I'm going to pick out because I want to believe. I feel something for you. Uh, I feel something for you. Keisha, I want you to come up here. I feel something for you today. I feel something for you. Come right up here. Okay. When you're ready enough to public, you know how hard it is to, most of us aren't public like, hey folks, I got a problem. When you're this honest, you're about to have a spiritual breakthrough. When you're this honest. So I want all of you who feel some faith right now, I want you to come behind them. I want you to push your way in here. These Living with oppression. Living with oppression. Are aware of how oppression has come into your life. I'll give you some examples. If you've been wounded in your past and you've never dealt with it, you've never you haven't settled it. The enemy's that's an open portal to hell in your life. I'm just being honest with you. 
I'm not trying to be all fancified and spiritual. I'm just being honest with you. If you have a pain that you haven't healed, something hasn't healed, you're going to have oppression, 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 oppression. That's number one. You see what I'm saying? Number two, church hurt. Church hurt. Church hurt will keep you oppressed because the place of your healing has been separated from you. You will get hurt at church. I will get hurt at church. But I will also be healed at church. The difference when they hurt you in a hospital, it's for your good. Not always, but you get the idea. Errors happen in churches. There are errors of ministry. You have to identify church hurt and you have to let it go or it is killing you. It is killing you, your church hurt. Something that happened, somebody did something, somebody, it is It is like acid in your spirit. You've got to be healed. Okay? All right? Third, the third thing. I'm just giving you some examples here. There's more, but some examples is misunderstanding what you could and could not have done. If you're blaming yourself for someone else's choices... The devil is just using that to strip your confidence. It's just These are examples. I pray that because I don't want us just to pray for victory at the level of our emotions. I want us to pray for victory at the level above that. Where there's understanding. Because once you can understand, you now have the option of through faith turning away from it. Does that make sense? I understand. Something happened. I was hurt. There's a temptation within me to feel sorry for myself. I never let it heal. I'm always picking at it. But now I understand that I'm always picking at it. And by the act of my will, I turn away from that and I turn towards spiritual healing. So those of you who I I want to, if you can't get up here, extend a hand toward these. I want our pastors. I want you to make a way down this line. Come on, all pastors, get right here. I want you to land hands on head. I want you taking names, anointing heads, okay? That's what we want. We're about to, I just feel like this needs to happen here today. When you, guys, listen to me. When y'all walk out of here, the oppression, you're going to feel lighter. You're going to feel like you've lost some weight, which how awesome is that? Bring it on, Lord. You're going to feel like you've lost some weight in your life, okay? You're going to feel spiritually lighter. Lord Jesus, I am speaking. Come on, church, help me pray. I want to hear you pray right now. I'm speaking healing to the wounds that have allowed continual access for the enemy to enter people's hearts and lives and hurt them. I'm speaking healing for that. My God, my God, my God, my God. My God, my God. I'm speaking deliverance by the promises of God. We don't stand here in our strength. We celebrate you. Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four stars. By doing so, you will help others find it and also bless them. If you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times and church ministries, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.